0: On this episode of the Culture Pop Podcast, I saw Top Gun Maverick, which was great. What are the best movie sequels of all time? Sue has got a story about a sheep in the Sudan who has been sent off to prison. And Anthony Hill from Grey's Anatomy joins us. Anthony and I have something in common. We both love donuts don't forget subscribe to the culture pop podcast on apple spotify or at stevemason.com and don't forget leave us a rating and a review the culture pop podcast is brought to you by the law offices of jacob and ronnie accident Jacob. hi everybody welcome to the culture pop podcast i'm steve mason along with sue Kalinski. sue saturday morning i love these saturday ones because i get to sleep in a little bit and uh, you know it's mellow and it's casual and you know what i'm saying right i you know what you're saying and
1: then you don't have to go to work after which is correct
0: good, right? correct i don't need to we, uh, I always think uh doing a show is like you know Sisyphus. You've, you've got the boulder at the bottom of the hill, and you push the boulder all the way up, and then the boulder rolls down again. At four o'clock today, no boulder, no boulder to worry about. So I went to see on Thursday with everybody from the show. Uh Jorge was there, and Bergman was there. Went to see Top Gun Maverick, and it is spectacular it is such a good movie um now that's one that you're definitely going to see right i am going to see it i mean there's been
1: you know so much talk about the fact that they actually learned i mean they were in like was like a, a simulator but they were were they actually in the planes like I heard that that part of it is incredible.
0: Yeah, it's supposed to be. Well, I mean, I know they put little cameras inside cockpits and they did stuff like that. In terms of technology, it's like light years beyond what we saw in uh, Top Gun. Um, the one thing that jumped out to me more than anything else, and by the way, the, the story's great. Jennifer Connelly's great. Uh, the new guys, uh, uh, Glenn Powell, who plays... Hangman, and all these guys are really, really good. Um, all right, Miles Miles Teller's in it. Miles Teller's unbelievable in it. He's great in it. If, in fact, before I get to the other point. So, Miles Teller wears a mustache. And so, I start to think, you know what? Time to bring back the mustache. What do you think? What do you think me in a mustache?
1: You starting to let it grow?
0: I'm starting to let you- it grow. I was thinking like, yeah. Like I mean, maybe mustaches me miles we're going to bring back the stash i think it depends on what kind of
1: stash it is like the porn stash no way
0: i don't think i have a porn stash in like i you can only do so much with what you've got
1: but i think if 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 the stash comes down a little bit like below your lips you know yeah. a little
0: yeah, you know, yeah, um,
1: and like maybe Sam uh,
0: Elliott. Sam Elliott. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: that is a that is a class stash,
0: right? Not Colonel
1: Sanders. Not Colonel Sanders. Not well, the Hitler stash. No, yeah, Hitlers, def- no. definitely not that. And even the and and the pencil the John Waters. Oh, John Waters. Not, not <laughs> I'm too not many people. Do that one. I think maybe John Waters is one of few that could pull that off because that's his trademark.
0: The other thing is the old Van Dyke. You know what I'm saying? The old uh, oh, there, yeah. there and to there yeah. and down the chin, like and Phil then, Jackson. And then, before. Right.
1: Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, Tom has a soul patch. I like the soul patch.
0: Yeah, the soul patch is nice. Phil Jackson rocked a soul patch. Uh, so I, I think I'm going to bring that back. My mom turns 80. Uh, the birthday party is tomorrow, so I'm going to be clean shaven for that. And then afterwards, look out. Summer of the stash.
1: Okay, now if you showed up to your mom's party yeah, with some growth, right? Yeah. Would she be like, oh, what are you doing?
0: No, no, she would be fine. Yeah, okay. I'm, I think she'd think it, but I don't think she'd say it. I just think, you know, your mom only turns 81, probably 81, she's probably better off uh, going clean shaven since she's 80 and all that stuff. I was trying to convince her, I read an article about Actually, I haven't even talked to her about this yet. Uh, read an article about a lady who went skydiving for her one hundredth birthday, and I'm like, "Yes, you go out there and rock it." And my mom at eighty, wouldn't it be unbelievable if she went out and went skydiving for her eightieth birthday? What do you think the odds of that happening?
1: I, you know, I don't know your mom well enough. She is a very, very cool person, so. Um, a part of me would think she may do it, but I, 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 I don't know. I mean, would he, I mean, does she have a fear of heights? If, I mean, I, I don't know anything about your mom. If
0: there was anybody's mom turning eighty other than me, I would say no way. But with me, I think there's still <laughs> a chance. There's a chance. So we were talking about Top Gun and it raises this issue, which is, I think, is interesting. Top Gun, for me, is one of, and I went through and looked at this stuff, one of the five greatest sequels ever made. One of the five greatest sequels ever made. It's fantastic. Lives up to the billing, uh, sequel to a beloved movie, all that stuff. If I ask you, greatest sequels ever made, what comes to mind? Godfather two number one as sure. number one by by uh, by uh, a
1: unanimous vote I have a feeling yeah I'm sure um, I love Color
0: of Money uh, see I didn't love Color of Money
1: yeah I I love Color of Money
0: that's the one that's a sequel to, to the Hustler the, the starring Hustler. Tom Cruise and Paul mm-hmm. Newman.
1: Mm-hmm. Um. Toy Story.
0: The Toy Story, Story two two yes. Three, by the way, would I just bawled my eyes out. But yeah. two is great.
1: Yeah. I mean, any Toy Story sequel to me is great. And yeah. there's a four coming out that I can't wait to see because I'm yeah. sure it's amazing.
0: Um, aliens. Aliens, which is a great one because it's such a different movie. The original was late 70s. Ridley Scott, more of a horror movie. This more of a big action movie directed by James Cameron. It's a good one because they really did kind of something different with the sequel.
1: Right. A lot of cerebral, you know, Paul Reiser's character was, Oh so creepy, yeah. Yeah. Um, which was such a departure from what you would have expected from him. Um, the Born. Uh, sequels i i love the born identity so i i really like the sequel
0: yeah i mean i like the born movies. i i always thought you know mission i like mission impossible better than born so i only have if i only have room in my life for one Mm -hmm. like kick-ass uh action movie it's probably mission impossible rather than born but yeah i get it i get it anything else
1: um, and I like the trilogy that Richard Linklater did with um, Ethan Hawke and Julie Del- Delphi. Um, after before sunset, after before sunset, before um, before sunrise, before sunset, and before midnight. I really like that trilogy. Now I'm confused.
0: Me. Okay, so which one came first? Before before
1: sunrise, and then right. then it was before sunset, and before midnight was. Those the are
0: great movies. So really, those really are great, great movies. Just
1: great writing, and the chemistry between the two of them was amazing. Um, and you know. I mean, I'd I'd throw in Halloween too, you know.
0: Yeah, Halloween was great. Although it's hard to top the original. All, all those movies that have come since mm-hmm. are really cool. The one I would throw in there is Terminator Two, uh, Judgment mm-hmm. Day. I didn't what see you, it. What's that? Mm. Mm. No, I'm,
1: so, I'm, not, I'm not saying you know, like like it's bad. Oh, okay. I, was, I was like I like Mission Impossible. Yeah. I saw the first Mission Impossible, but I never saw the sequels. Okay. Terminator never saw the sequel. So I can't really tell So Terminator
0: that. 2, first Terminator, great movie, perfect movie, Schwarzenegger. Second movie has got the, I think it's the T2000, which is the advanced version of the Terminator. It's actually played by Robert Patrick, mm-hmm. uh, who I later got to race against in the Long Beach Celebrity Grand Prix. Great guy, great movie. Uh, Again, a twist on the original, which I think is smart. The Terminator 2, I think, is a really good one. Strongly recommend Top Gun Maverick. Really fun. You'll love it. If you love the first one, even if you never saw the first one, you were too young for the first one, the second one is still fantastic.
1: Hmm. Okay. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm going to see it later today.
0: So now you had uh, had something.
1: Um, Well, I read this story... Um, I think it was Google News because they have some weird... No, no. I think it was... A lot of times I look up like weird news. All right. So this just, came you know, up. Just
0: Google weird
1: news. Weird news. Weird. 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 News. Okay. So a sheep <laughs> in South Sudan has been sentenced to jail for three years after it was found guilty of killing a woman. What? So... a. I, I they don't say specifically if they had a trial and what I would think if they did have a trial, what would have been really unfair that it wasn't a group of his peers. <laughs> it wasn't a jury of sheep.
0: You know, it really is more fair if it's a jury. of. So sheep.
1: I don't know what provoked the attack, but apparently I love that they say that the ram was taken into police custody. They actually have a picture of a policeman walking with the sheep. Now, it's not shackled or anything like that. But they're like, you know, the, the poor sheep, like, you know, he's got like, you know. Well, like, how did the up. sheep do it? Well, he headbutted this woman repeatedly breaking her ribs. And she was 45 years old and she died immediately. of Wow. Injuries. Wow. So, I mean.
0: Now, why wouldn't he, you just give that sheep the death penalty right off the bat it's a sheep
1: well you know like with dogs like if a dog attacks it i guess it really depends on what the situation is i mean i i don't know if a dog you know i guess if a dog kills somebody a lot of times they'll put the dog down depending on if you know if it's a pit bull and they think it's going to do it again right but i know from experience because my dog monty years ago um bit somebody and you get Two strikes. The dog gets two strikes. And after that, they could take the dog away from you. And then they'll determine what they're going to do. So with a minute, dog. Your
0: dog is allowed to bite two people before they take it away. Yes. Who's, now, whose rule is that?
1: I guess it's um, I don't know if it's if it's a s- state law in California or it's or it's a city rule. But and the thing is, and this was this is I, I just have to tell you what happened. So I we were doing the radio show. Mm-hmm. Right. New York. And I came home for the weekend. And the day I was leaving, I left late in the day and a friend of mine came to hang out with me in the morning. And Kenny was away somewhere. I don't know. I have no idea where he was. And I'm walking on Main Street in Santa Monica. And there was a guy, a young guy who kind of came by in between a storefront and us on a skate on a skateboard. Right. And I didn't even and he wasn't like speeding by. I didn't even know he was there. And then all of a sudden he stops in front of us and he looks at us and I said, uh, yeah. And he shows me his calf. Okay, and Monty had bitten his his leg and as he was, like, was going as he was rolling by. Yes, he was rolling by. I didn't even see it happen. And he had like a giant puncture in his calf. Oh no! And I said, "Oh my god!" I said, "Did my dog do that?" And he said, "Yes." And I was like, "Oh my god!" And here I was. I I had to you know get to the airport in probably like three hours, so I took the guy to the to a doctor, gave him all my information, and um, you know people were saying to me, you know. He's going to find out that, you know, maybe he's going to know, like, you know, look up your address, find out that you live with Ken Ober and he's going to try to sue you and, you know, get money. Like, like he was very nice to me. Yeah. But people were saying he's going to start talking to friends and they're going to tell him that he should, you know, pursue this and, and, and sue you. And I was like, oh my God. So we, when I got back to New York, I called him like almost every day to see how he was doing. You know, I paid for for the medical bill. I think it was like $300 or something. But I found out when I brought him into the hospital, they said to me, what's your dog's name? Social security number, driver's license. (laughs) Um, And um, they told me that uh, if if the dog does it again, um, we're going to take your dog.
0: Really? Yeah. But that was his first strike or his second
1: strike? That was his first strike. First strike. So he had a second strike? No, no, I
0: you're I only know. allowed to buy one person and then no, no, no.
1: you buy if if he, if this was his second strike, because they put they they have a record of it. They have to report it to, I guess, I animal see, control. I see. Yeah. So this was the first time he had ever bitten anybody. But if he they warned me that if he does it again, then they can take him from it.
0: So he was kind of like on double secret probation. Oh, totally.
1: <laughs> and and Monty, you and, know, uh, like and
0: it, the guy ended up not suing you, right? He never sued me. Oh, that's great. That's yeah. great. Yeah, that would scare me. Anyway, so,
1: I mean, this this whole situation, it's like, well, you know, what do they do? Like, what about the the, the people that own the animal?
0: I mean, Own the sheep? Are we back the to sheep. the sheep now?
1: Yeah, like, I mean, aren't they the ones who were, like, like I, I would have been responsible in the fact that, you know, it's my dog. I mean, they weren't going to put me in jail, but I guess they were going to take away the dog. So, I guess it's a similar
0: situation. Yeah, they're they're yeah. putting them in jail. Um, and where's that again? Sudan. The Sudan. <laughs> What's the source? Um, weird news. <laughs> just
1: Google. Okay. No, Sorry, no, the for name- more
0: information, just Google <laughs> <No>. weird <laughs> news sheep and the story I, will pop up. I guess
1: that it says uh, according to Sudan's iRadio. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay. So I got one last thing I want to throw at you before. So, you know, I like junk food, right? I'm a huge fan. Ate some last night. Um, What do you mean some? What did you have? uh, Baklava and three donuts.
1: (laughs) Now in of itself, I wouldn't say baklava is junk food.
0: Oh, it's it's all honey and phyllo dough, right? Right, but is honey bad for you? Well, I think in quantities, right? Oh, so you're giving me a free pass on baklava? On baklava, okay. But I know it. that I know okay. that you have a donut addiction. That yeah, I know. Take the free pass. I'll, I so then all I, I all I had was three donuts.
1: <laughs> well, it's just, um, you know, you you're you're like um, you've got this like it's like overkill with you, like you can't just True. have the baklava.
0: Yeah, I had to go for the donuts too.
1: Now now how soon after the baklava did you have the donuts?
0: Pretty damn quick.
1: <laughs> and is it one, two, three donuts, one after another? Or do you oh, space yeah. it out?
0: You don't take a breather between donuts.
1: You're gluttonous.
0: Yeah, you don't no, you eat the donut, and you're like, all right, let's move on to the next. You don't you don't take a breath.
1: Are they full size donuts or like mini donuts?
0: No, they're full size donuts. And where, where do the donuts come from? DK's in Santa Monica. They oh, deliver. right. Yeah.
1: They deliver. <laughs> I yeah. love that.
0: You they should try it. I don't know if they'll deliver a long bit, but you would love these. You and Tom would love these donuts. <laughs> They're so good. So good. So anyway, I come across this uh, fast food thing that's uh, going around, or this dessert thing. So Nabisco, they own Oreo cookies and Ritz crackers. What they've decided is to combine the... Oreo cookie and the peanut butter cracker. So here's, here's the, don't give me that look. So let me give you the stack. <laughs> the stack goes peanut butter or, or, uh, or Ritz cracker, peanut butter, Oreo cream filling, and then Oreo on top. So it's a peanut butter cracker slash Oreo cookie. What do you think?
1: It sounds disgusting. It sounds so good. I just, just leave it alone. You know, I remember years ago when the improv opened up, well, they always had food there, but Jackie Mason opened up like he took over the restaurant part of the club and um, they, they, their featured item on the menu was pizza. And they came up with a peanut butter pizza. Well, that's just stupid. Nobody wants that. But Nobody people, wants any part of that. But people order it. And then and then, like I remember when I worked at MTV, when I was working on the Osbournes, like a PA would go out. We would say, oh, you know, go out and get us, you know, some bagels. And they'd come back with like blueberry bagels. And it's like, no, there's no blueberries in bagels. You know, maybe an onion bagel, bagel, a garlic bagel, some sesame seeds or something like that. You don't put other things in bagels that don't belong.
0: Yeah, I think blueberry bagel is okay. Ugh, it's gross. Everything bagel's the best. It ruins the bagel for me. I ah, see. I love everything bagel. Yes, everything it, bagel's really good. It's, it's overkill. I'd like to buy a thing of that everything spice that they use and sprinkle Tom, it on. Tom stuff. buys it. Does he? Yeah. Oh, that stuff see, is. See, I so can't good.
1: have that stuff because I have diverticulitis.
0: Uh Next time I see you, it's yeah, like uh, kryptonite. It, it is the uh, Oreo cream Ritz cracker peanut butter snack food.
1: Yeah. I just like just leave Oreos alone. You're just leave in. just just leave Oreos alone. They're great the way they, they are. They're really
0: good. They are you don't really need good.
1: to. You don't need to improve on that, or even have like a tangential.
0: You treat. who done all these cooking shows and want like an amuse bouche and interesting flavors, and all of a sudden you don't want any interesting flavors.
1: Well, that has nothing to do with it. I mean, they wouldn't make something like that on Top Chef.
0: Well, <laughs> but everybody. Yeah, everybody's throwing, you know, different, different twists on this or a spin on that or this, this is a fresh hash, all that business. You would think a simple Oreo cream, rich cracker, peanut butter thing would go over well. With Tom Colicchio and Padma Lakshmi.
1: No, you definitely get get eliminated for that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, Our guest today started his career with uh, shows like It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Station 19, Watchmen, This Is Us. He got his big break in ABC's long-running hospital drama, Grey's Anatomy. The season finale just aired. Anthony Hill joins us. Anthony, thank you so much for doing this, man. We really appreciate it. I appreciate you having me. Great to be here. So before we get to Gray's Anatomy, you grew up an athlete and your dad was a basketball coach. You played football. Compare sort of the discipline that it takes to be an athlete and the discipline it takes to be an actor. Mm. Well, I mean, honestly,
2: I found a lot of similarities between the two over the years. Um, starting out as an athlete my whole life. uh, the main thing that we have uh, as athletes is consistency. You have to have it every day. And uh, if you're consistent, you end up finding playtime on the field or on the court, whatever whatever sport it is that you're playing. Um, because through consistency, you build trust. And that is one of the main things that I found with acting is very similar. You're going to auditions and you're meeting casting directors and producers and directors and you have to build trust with them if they're going to trust you, uh, you know, to to put you on their on their show or on their movie and on their set. So, in order to do that, consistency is the main way that I found to to help build those relationships.
1: I would think uh, chemistry would be very very important too, because uh, I see your chemistry on Grey's Anatomy, and uh, it's very solid. <laughs>
2: oh wow! Thank you for saying that. And yeah, you're right. Chemistry is is a lot of it and that's kind of one of those things with with teamwork that you don't always know if you're going to have it. You can't really um it's not always the most coachable thing, but it is something that you can build over time. So I don't know with with Kelly mccreary in particular who plays Maggie, my love interest on the show. We got kind of lucky because we didn't know each other at all on day 1 and um that first episode in season 16 we just hit it off and it just made sense and it was fun and it was flowing and yeah, so the chemistry uh, sometimes can be gained over time, but sometimes it's just there, and I got really lucky with with this show.
0: So uh, I also work at ESPN. That's my other job. So I, I've looked up all, all, I've, I've, I've familiarized myself with your, uh, your sports career. Uh, you ended up at Oklahoma State as a, as a walk on, uh, a theater major slash walk on football player. Yeah, so that's right. Did you always have acting in your back pocket like was that something you had always thought yeah if the football thing doesn't work out acting is where i'm gonna go 100 it was actually
2: um i auditioned for a scholarship for theater before i tried out for the football team so that was the first priority for me um then uh, after i got that scholarship for for um theater i was like okay this will open up x amount of time i can probably walk onto the team and, and, and give that a go too. Cause I loved, I, it was a shared love. I just loved both things so much. And so, uh, yeah, I walked on, made the team and then was, it's funny because everybody on the team and the coaches were aware that I was in theater. And so it was this running joke. They would call me Denzel and they would call me like Hollywood Hill and all this <laughs> stuff. Like that. that was kind of fun at the time, but, um, yeah, it, it was kind of a, a known thing and they were, they were so great. They would like come to plays and support me. Uh, uh, you know, when we weren't always at practice, which we were a lot. There's a lot of back and forth, but they were always supportive and, and it was a fun thing.
0: So Mike Gundy was your coach there who has been there for a long time and uh, great coach, great, had lots of success over the years. Um, it, when you were a high school athlete, there was a point where, and I know you get injured at some point, but there was a point where you were very highly recruited who were some of the coaches that came into your living room and, and gave you their pitch?
2: Oh, my gosh. That's a great question. Uh, i gotta, I got to think back now. But I got recruited from so—it was, it was a wild ride um, my junior and senior year in high school. Um, I was at a Shawnee Mission South. We weren't necessarily known for our football team at the time. But what I did was I went to a Nike camp, and that's kind of how I got on the radar of some of these coaches. Down at K State, they had a Nike camp, and it was kind of the best of the best. I put up some nice numbers there. So we had, oh my gosh, um, we had Nebraska um, coming through, um, Oklahoma, OU, Texas, UCLA, Stanford, um, Oregon. Um, Oh my gosh,
0: I'm just thinking back now all the letters and people that were coming through. um, And then that injury happens, and then that kind of turns everything upside down, right? It sure did. It was um,
2: devastating for an 18 year old kid to kind of go through something where all of these things are possible. And then literally uh, after the injury, it just literally disappeared. The only offer that stayed on the table was South Dakota State University. Yeah. I'll never forget that. A division one double A squad. And um, really, uh, I really appreciated that coach because even though I was injured, he, he had faith that. Oh, you know, I see these numbers, and I see that you you're on the mend, and you know you didn't get to play at all your senior year. But we're gonna hold the scholarship for you. And I think I will always appreciate that school and that team because of that. As this 18 year old kid, I was my world crumbled, you know. And it was just I realized the business of it all, and I wish I would have known that ahead of time. I wish I hope that some of these kids now know that it's very much a business as well as a sport that's fun for them. Like they they should be very aware that kind of a number at the end of the day. And um, as great as the sport is, and as many avenues as it opens, as much as I still love it, you gotta be aware of the business side as well.
1: Did, did they all, did everybody who tried to recruit you, they all have kind of the same spiel?
2: <laughs> yeah, they actually kind of did. It's funny, like you see that, I think like I've seen a joke or a, like a parody of that scenario in movies, but it was like a revolving door of coaches. And, um, they would meet with your family and say a lot of the same things. They would just, you know, just talk you up and, and, uh, and talk about all the things they were going to promise you and all the things, how great their school is and how big their crowds are and their stadium and their, their state-of-the-art facility. It was all the same. It was all the same. And it, and ultimately it all fell through. Like none of it was true. And that was, what's so like, uh, shocking for a, for a kid to, to kind of grasp,
0: you know? Yeah, it's got to be. It's got to be really tough. But it, it, yet, you'd done an improv class when you were in seventh grade, if I did my research right. Um, yeah, how did you know that? I, you know, I just I, the the internet. You you can find amazing stuff on the internet. So what in, in seventh grade? How did you wind up in an improv class? Was it all kids your own age? Was it grown-ups? Was it community theater? What was it? It was.
2: I just told my mom. I remember I was watching a show called Even Stevens on Disney, and I was so uh, Shia LaBeouf is actually in that, uh, and when he was a super young kid, and I was so like enthralled with how fun it looked, like how much fun these kids were having on TV, and I was like, I want to. That was like the first time I was like, I want to, I want to do that somehow. But we're in Kansas, and you know, there's not always the most um, opportunities uh, when it comes to show business here. That industry isn't really super prominent in Kansas, so my mom. Looked up. I'm gonna date I'm gonna date how long ago this was, but in the phone book, like yellow pages, my mom looked up like uh, improv classes, acting classes, whatever was available in Kansas City, and we found this thing that was kind of like a community theater vibe. Um all kids my age, everybody was so fun. I made a lot of friends there, actually, but it was run by kind of like this group of college kids, if I remember right, and they were just doing it um kind of just volunteer work and um it was one summer and it was like a three-week course and then at the end of it we had this big show and we kind of showcased what we had learned uh in the three weeks and in front of our parents and it was like I knew right away that after we were done with that show I remember walking out with my mom and dad being like I want to do this this is amazing mm-hmm. yeah and they were both like we're with you it was it was fun to watch for it was fun for them to watch and it was fun for me to do I remember that I haven't thought about that in a long time though that's crazy
1: So before we go into Grey's Anatomy, I want to I've done a little bit of research myself. Nice. And you say that you're a donut connoisseur and not to get you started. And I have to tell you that my partner here, Steve Mason, is going to give you a run for your money because he is a donut maniac. So what's your donut backstory?
2: Oh, I've listened. Donuts are my thing, all right? They are my thing. Steve, you're going to give me a run for my money? That's fine. But I'll tell you, right, you're going to be... The competition is, is heavy. So okay. <laughs> I I love donuts since I can remember. Since I can remember, all right? <laughs> and, uh, um, I actually, the first donut I had was at Voodoo Donuts in uh, Portland, Oregon. and I know I it. Remember, yeah, yeah. They're pretty famous there. I still... I think they still are. And um, I was up there visiting family. I was like four, and, uh, uh, that's where my mom's family is. And I had a donut from voodoo donuts and it changed the trajectory of my life. Hmm. And I was like, look, I love donuts. I just, I've been obsessed ever since I love a good Krispy Kreme. I would get yep. commercials for them for free. <laughs> 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 I shouldn't say that, but I love them very much. And, uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. So what, uh, donut power rankings, uh, what, <laughs> what's the top three on the donut power rankings? Are we talking? Are we talking brands? Or are we talking type of donuts? Type of donuts. Yeah. Mm, mm,
2: mm. Oh, this is tough because it's very specific to a person. Now, look, you're gonna learn a lot about a human being by what kind of donuts they like.
0: Yes, you are. And
2: uh, you guys are
0: gonna, you know, I'm gonna. Be... I may or may not like you at this point. I want to know what <laughs> your donuts are before I make a decision. It's a very vulnerable thing to explain to somebody, but I'm
2: gonna do it. Um, I love a classic. Glazed donut, but it's not my number one. That okay. would be number three, top three for sure. But probably yeah. number three. number one, kind of a sleeper hit. It is a a chocolate iced glazed donut. So there's a chocolate iced donut, and then there's a chocolate iced glaze. Oh, donut. you
0: know what? I mm. actually know this donut. Yes, yes, crispy. Where it goes, it goes in the glaze first, and then it goes ah. in the chocolate. Yes. Now you're talking. Yes. <laughs> that
2: is my jam. That's number one, hands down, every time. Um, number two is kind of a wild card. It'll switch. It'll yeah. switch on the mood, on the vibe. I don't know. But number three is always going to be that glaze, that regular glaze.
0: Yeah.
1: Now, now I grew up in Long Island, New York. Okay. Uh, and there was a company that I don't know if it was Entomins nationwide. Did you grow up with Entomins? Oh,
0: I, I had Entomins when I was growing yeah. up. Okay. Yeah. So.
1: Entenmann's chocolate donut. See, I'm I'm OG. Okay, I love it. And uh, refrigerated.
0: Oh, oh, refrigerated. That's an interesting call. Yes, I like refrigerated though. So
1: I grew up with that and a cold glass of chocolate milk.
0: Oh yeah. I'll tell you the thing that I you know, and I I feel like we need to raise awareness on this um, is the old fashioned is a very underrated donut. I agree. The old fashioned, I, and I, I'm thinking about launching sort of a campaign <laughs> to pump up the old fashioned, which, you know, it's, it, it sounds like it's dated, right? It's old fashioned, but, but I, I think it's, it's contemporary. It's fresh. It's exactly everything that the donut should be. So I think an old fashioned, very underrated, and then a maple bar. Oh, maple yeah. bar, that maple frosting is so delicious. Oh, right, Steve. How
1: much? Well, how much pot do you smoke?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do my fair share. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm
2: with you. I'm with you. A maple bar is clutch. Those come through strong for me too. That's like a revolving door on my number two seed. Yeah, that's one of them. It'll, that's it'll, one of them.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, okay. Okay.
1: You have that. That you have the old fashioned on the bench.
2: Yeah, the old fashioned, you know,
0: it, it's like the equivalent
2: to like a sixth man. It comes in there. <laughs>
0: nice, nice. I like ah, that. I like, I like that. that. Okay. <laughs> so okay. Uh, so how'd you get this part on uh, Gray's Anatomy? I'm sure the craft services table's got excellent donuts, but how'd you get this part on uh, Gray's Anatomy? They do have great donuts and they always have them stocked up. But um,
2: I, I got this part over time. It was kind of one of those, um, like I said about, building trust with the casting directors and how it's similar to building trust with a coach. It was, it was very similar, um, with my experience to grace. So I auditioned for grace multiple times. Um, the first time was 2014, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I believe 2015. And then I actually, I don't know if I've ever talked about this, but I got a role on grace. I booked one my third try Um, And I wasn't able to do it because I was out of town. Mm. So the role, they told me, Hey, can you shoot tomorrow? I was in Atlanta. I couldn't shoot it. It was a very small role. It would Mm -hmm. have been maybe a scene or two. And um, I said, I couldn't do it. And I was heartbroken because I loved that show, but yeah, so, um, that didn't work out. And then I came back maybe three years after that in 2019 and and they had a rapport with me. They understood who I was and kind of this character might fit my, fit my bill pretty well. And, um, yeah, I, I ended up booking it. I don't think the audition was all that great to be honest with you. But yeah, I was going to ask you that. Like, do you, did you know you nailed it? No, no, not at all. I walked out of there like, man, all these times I keep coming in here and, and I just keep hearing no. And here's another no, because it just did not go very well in my head. Um, you know, one of those things.
1: I feel like that is so the way, cause you know, I, you know, I I've done a little bit of acting. I was, you know, stand-up forever, but but every time I had um a crappy audition, like leaving the audition, actually feeling like I want to call the casting director and I like on my ride home, I want to call them up and and ask them if I can do it again. I got the part. Isn't that crazy? Yeah.
2: That happens that happens with me too. And this is a prime example of it. Like I don't know what that is, but like when it doesn't seem to go well, at least in our perspective, it usually went. Right. Those are the best auditions for some reason. I don't know what that is, but that happens. And the ones that you nail usually aren't, you know, you don't get too much of a response from. Right.
0: Right. So what's it like inside Shonda Land? I mean, here you are, you're working for, uh, you're working on Grey's Anatomy. And Shonda Rhimes is among the most prolific uh, television creators there is today. What's it like inside there? It's the machine for sure.
2: Um, I, in a good way because they know what they're doing. They know what they want um, and they know how to get it. So they operate like clockwork. They have you know, literally 18 seasons worth of trying to understand how can we get this to flow and they, they got it. Now it flows. So I just got to join at a good time when everything's just smooth sailing pretty much. And there's some pivots and hiccups here and there that we have to kind of you know, adjust to when it comes to writing or kind of a uh, storyline or whatever people's availability, things like that. But as far as the actual filming of the show, it's clockwork. It's great. Everybody's so efficient.
1: So the 17th season, I believe it was the 17th season. That's when um, the pandemic uh, became a storyline. What, what was it like being a TV doctor during COVID?
2: <laughs> it was really meta. It was this very strange mm-hmm. time of like having to, be literally living through a pandemic and then going to work and pretending to live through a pandemic that we were living through. It was such a bizarre, like inception vibe, but, um, it, it was also like, it, it was like, it was difficult and challenging because of all the protocol and all of the rules and whether that would be distancing, masking, testing, um, wh- whatever it was, we have meetings weekly, um, with COVID experts, to kind of um, prep, or I guess prep us for the week of pretending to be doctors, they would let us know what it's like inside the hospital because we're seeing the news at home and we're understanding what it's like to be uh, just a civilian, going to the store and wiping your stuff down at that point, doing all that stuff that we did at the beginning of the pandemic, but we didn't know what it was like inside the hospitals. And so hearing about that was eye-opening and really emotional actually,
0: yeah. Now, did you hear from, because you did really nice, you know, tributes to frontline workers. Did you hear from a lot of frontline workers while you were putting out these episodes? Yep, I did.
2: I know that um, I'm pretty sure most people did. Um, um, My inboxes and emails and um, messages were always just full of actual doctors, actual nurses, um, actual medical workers in the front lines thanking me for being a part of something that kind of um, painted what they're going through in an honest light and um, kind of a tragic one, but it kind of opened people's viewers. It opened their eyes to like, oh, this is really serious. And we were at home for a lot of the time, a lot of the viewers. So it's kind of easy to forget kind of how tragic and serious everything was on the day to day. And uh, so a lot of the frontline workers were were appreciative that we were we weren't shying away from that storyline.
1: And like preparation for a role like this, um, I always think it would be so difficult to speak in medical terms and really make it sound like you really know what you're talking about. But also just like the idea of being a surgeon. Did you actually like go to hospitals like did they take the cast like to observe like surgeries and things like that?
2: Well, I heard that they did in the early seasons. Yeah, um, okay. For the um, they they didn't. They I was lucky that I had the option to do that. Um, this season, one of the um, I guess uh, background artists. A lot of them are actual uh, medical workers, and that's mm. why we use them on the show because they know what they're doing with the equipment and they they're believable. And um, she offered me to go see a surgery and to sit in and just watch because I wanted to understand what the vibe was, what the energy is in an OR. Because we see it on TV and you hear about it. I've actually had surgery, but you know, obviously I wasn't awake for it. So I want to just kind of see how doctors handle themselves with literally somebody's life in their hands. What's that like? So I've been to one. Yeah. yeah.
1: And I want to know like, and obviously it's TV and you're telling a story and you have to write dialogue a certain way to keep it interesting. But, you know, there, there were times like I'll be watching the show and, you know, there would be like a really serious, like they'd actually be in surgery. And then someone would bring up, yeah. So I'm, you know, put like a down payment on a house, you know, (laughs) things like that. Like when you, when you were around doc, did they just talk like normal people while they're doing their job?
2: 100%. It, really was kind of shocking to me. I, was, I wasn't, I don't know why, but I wasn't expecting that. I, I was kind of expecting the conversation to be about what they were doing. And it, for the most part, it was. But like you said, there were conversations going that what they were doing was so routine for them. They knew it so well. They were so well-versed in it that they could have these conversations and be relaxed. It was crazy. Yeah.
1: And the reason why I bring it up is that I, I grew up with somebody who became a nurse. And we, this was many years ago, she was a... um ICU nurse. And she was supposed to meet me at a party. And this was years ago before we had cell phones. So she never showed up at the party. And then I called her the next day and I was like, why didn't you come? And she said, oh, this patient was supposed to die and he lived and I had to stay. (laughs) Really? (laughs) She really said that. And I'm thinking to myself, you're a nurse, but I guess, you know, a job is a job to people you know? And that's exactly, I mean, she was so forthcoming in saying that to me. I was shocked. I was like, Oh, so that was a bad thing. And she's like, no, 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 no. It's not that, you know, I'm glad he lived, but that's why I couldn't come to the party because he didn't die.
2: It's so routine that, yeah, it's like, uh, so matter of fact, nonchalant. And they're talking about something that's like literally life or death. And it's, it's, it's like, I was a little concerned actually at one point. I was like, is everybody like, okay like this is their mindset are they cold people but no they're just doing their job like you said
0: so when will when will you find out what happens for your character uh dr Ndugu, in uh in season 19 um
2: good question i don't know probably near the end of the summer if that they they kind of just They let you know when they let you know. And um, I've heard like whispers and things like that about what might happen. I know what I want to see happen, but I don't, I'm not sure. I'll probably learn in August or something
0: like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, it's obviously it's a, it's a great show. 19 years is just an amazing run. It's got to be cool to be a part of that and to have navigated your athletic career uh, to to this level of uh, of acting and of course donuts along for the ride. Um, thank you for helping to highlight. Uh, don't uh, I guess it would be old fashioned donut awareness month. Absolutely, I'm all on board for that. If you if you need me to tweet something, I got it. Awesome. All right. Hey Anthony, thank you very much, man. Really appreciate it. I really appreciate you. Thanks for having me on. There you have it, Anthony Hill. Oh, the donut thing. Where'd you find that donut story? It is so appropriate that a, uh, a fan, that a guest on the show would actually love donuts as much as I do.
1: Okay. Whenever in doubt, when you want to know something about somebody, fun facts. I just look up, <laughs> I just look up fun facts about people.
0: And that's what it said, fun facts about Anthony Hill.
1: Yeah, actually, there were other things that they that that he talked about, he, you know, like he could juggle. Hey, he, he can, can make, juggle. He can juggle. He makes balloon animals. <laughs> but, you know, something that was very interesting and, you know, we don't have that much time, but um, his mom is an NPR moth uh, uh, storyteller, main stage storyteller. You know, the moth is, is a what? You know, the moth. No, it's a reading. It's a very, very famous um like it's like the highest level of storytelling oh, that wow. you could be a part of and it's called The Moth and his mom is a uh, is one of the main stage storytellers wow which is very very All interesting. of these
0: fun facts about uh, Anthony Hill I like it. I like go. it. Uh, don't forget, you can subscribe to the Culture Pop podcast. Do that on Apple, Spotify or at SteveMason.com. Please leave us a rating and review. Thanks to Anthony Hill. Uh, Sue, great seeing you. You know,
1: I every time you say great seeing you, I was like, you too. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just going to let you say it's good seeing you. Good seeing you.
0: And then just end the show. And then end the show. (laughs) See you next time on the Culture Pop Podcast.